Hello and welcome to another episode of the Investors Chronicle Extraction podcast in which we speak to executives of London's natural resources companies. I'm Alex Newman, a writer at the Investors Chronicle, and today I'm joined by Richard Rose, Finance Director of Premier Oil, one of the largest independent oil and gas producers listed in London. Anyone new to the Premier story might well find the company's market value confusing. At 93p, the company has a market capitalisation of just over £700 million, despite low operating costs and output equivalent to 80,000 barrels of oil a day, there or thereabouts. That's worth about $2 billion a year at today's prices. The Premier is not a multi-billion pound company, owes a great deal to its net debt, which was $2.7 billion as of the 31st of December. Richard, thanks for joining us. Can you please explain to listeners who might be unfamiliar with the Premier story how the capital structure ended up where it is and particularly how has it changed in the last year? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Yes, essentially, the last three years have been obviously quite challenging for for Premier and the the industry as a whole. Um, I don't think any industry can lose 60% off the top line revenue and and not be unaffected. Uh, We entered uh, 2015 with with quite a heavy capital programme. We had two capital projects, Solan and Catcher, that were we were committing capital to um, and just at the time as I say the oil price rolled over we were partially insulated through hedging but ultimately those two capital projects caused the, the balance sheet to, to increase in, in terms of debt so we peaked out at about 2.7 billion dollars last year and um, we've done a lot to right size the business in terms of, of cost base etc so last year we did see that net debt begin to reduce but the capital commitments are now rolling off we have brought those projects on stream catcher just before Christmas uh, and that does mean that the, uh, the balance sheet should start to be uh, to getting into shape and net debt reducing. As you alluded to there, two, uh, you know, this huge drop in the oil price. So two years ago this month, we had crude slipping below $30 a barrel. It's now back up to around $70. As an oil producer, how can you prepare for the next two years. Are you expecting as much volatility as, as we've seen? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the key is to um, to base your budgets and your capital programmes on a conservative oil price deck. Um, for the last three years, as, as you say, we, we, we touched, two years ago, we touched $30 a barrel. We've been sub-50 for the last couple of years. We set our budgets this year at $55 a barrel, so clearly $70 a barrel is, is helpful. Um, our focus is on, on, on debt reduction. We've managed to keep operating costs very low, and as I said, capital commitments rolling off. But the key thing, I think, in the short term is, is not to be complacent. So that extra uh, oil price rise and revenue will be focused on reducing debt. Uh, we'll make sure the projects we have going forward are right-sized to, to um, deliver at oil prices significantly low, $70 a barrel. So as I say, don't be complacent, I think, is the, uh, is the watchword over the last three years and try, and try and keep your cost base as low as possible. Okay, and on that price point, I mean, you've insulated yourself partly from a sharp negative move in prices if we see one because you've you've hedged quite a good deal of your production for this year as well i mean what led you to that decision was that just the the premier outlook on commodity prices generally yeah i mean i think um essentially there's a couple of things here one we've right-sized the cost base so when we're touching on on that earlier operating cost per barrel are are, were 16 dollars 50 last year they expect to be 17 or 18 dollars a barrel and if we roll back three or four years ago that was above 20 dollars a barrel so we've we've helped uh, reduce the cost base cost in the business to allow us to to ride out lower oil prices on hedging it's never an exact science we know we're not there to speculate we're there to protect on the downside we expect it to be cash flow break even after all costs capex interest uh, the whole shooting match this year between 45 and 50 dollars a barrel and so therefore as the oil price rose above 50 dollars a barrel we've started to layer on the hedging because effectively what we're doing is locking in debt reduction um, we've now got to a place where we're about 35 percent hedged this year at just under 60 dollars a barrel 
on swaps and forwards. So that's that's hard pricing. We do have some options as well that protect some downside. And and really, that is all about uh, locking in debt reduction uh, and preserving our you know capital exposure this year. I would expect us to do a little bit more hedging. I'd like to find that right balance between exposing the business to upside and all prices. But the key is is locking in effectively debt reduction this year, which we have done in our hedging program. Have your lenders also? requested that you do a bit more hedging we have as part of our refinancing which Mm. we went through last year we have a broad strategy on hedging which frankly is is very similar to the defined policy we have with the board which is to hedge up to 50 percent forward on a 12 to 18 month basis the requirements we have to hedge are actually quite low in our refinance agreements one of the key things was that they weren't looking to lock us in at the refinancing at a low point in the cycle so so that was quite beneficial so we do have a lot of latitude there but the expectation with the lenders uh, as it is with our board is that we will We'll put some hedging on to, to protect that downside. Just finally, as we're, we're looking backward before we, we look forward, you told me just before we came on air that you know you've been with the company for about three years. It's been very tough three years. What has it been like overseeing a company which at some at certain points people were worried? about his yeah, ab- ability to absolutely. Continue. I mean, it's been a challenging three years. There's no doubt about it. I think where you had a hundred dollar oil price world with with lots of cash flow and an unconstrained balance sheet, you're looking a long term time horizons five years plus. What happens when the oil price fell? And obviously, we were focused on on short term debt covenants, etc. Y- your time horizons narrowed quite significantly. So it has been a different challenge than what I expected to join the company. Um, It's been interesting. We've gone through quite a complicated refinancing, which from a market perspective seems to take quite a long time, but, but reflected a number of intercreditor issues we had to deal with. I was not unconfident we would get through that process, but it did take slightly longer. But we, we did effectively uh, reset our debt structure, which was good. Um, we managed to improve covenants that allows the headroom to, to move forward, reset the debt maturities, which, which meant there was no imminent uh, uh, debt repayments due, but more importantly, preserved headroom liquidity. So that, frankly, has been the biggest challenge over the last couple of years. But as we look forward now, we've right-sized the business, the cost structure, the debt structure stable, and that... Uh, obviously allows us to capitalise on any future rises in oil price. Most immediate bit of news we've had is, is as you said, from, from Catcher, the North Sea field, which came online just before the end of the year. You're about 20,000 barrels per day now, but I think the plan is to triple that. What's next for the field in the next few months? Yeah, we bought it on stream on schedule um, just before Christmas. And uh, you don't go straight to immediately plateau production um, on a field like Catcher. It's, it's actually the Catcher project area is made up of three fields, Catcher, Varadero, Bergman. Um, and the whole process is to bring those on stream in a sequential manner. And there's, there's commissioning work to do. The principal one, which is constraining production, which was always planned was to bring on the um, the gas modules and gas export uh, after first oil and that we're going through that process at the moment so the the phased ramp up was to get to 10 to 20,000 barrels a day initially constrained because of, of flaring with gas and we're, we're there in fact we're ahead of schedule on that we offloaded our first cargo from the field last week and again that was that was some 10 days ahead of schedule so as far as the processing commissioning is going uh, it's all going to plan uh, the next phase is is quite a critical phase the gas processing is probably the most complex bit of commissioning so that'll take a little bit of time but we still remain on track to deliver over 60,000 miles a day hopefully in early early second quarter uh, the well productivity is is well in excess of what we expected um, each of the wells production wells can do 20,000 miles a day and we've already got four effectively ready for production or being cycled at the moment Touchwood catch is going very well. It's going to be a significant part of our production base and, and debt reduction plans this year. And uh, and so far, all on track. You touched on debt reduction plans there. When you, you see, you know, from a prospective investor and you see Solan that's, that's come online, catch has come online, you're generating a lot more cash now. 
How much is there in this ramp up for equity investors? Or is all cash just going to be sent straight to the uh, your, your lenders? I think in the short term, uh, the priority has to be reducing debt. $2.7 billion at peak and around about $2.5 billion now with a convertible debt holders converting to equity is, is frankly too much for a business of our size. So I think the equity is being depressed because there's uncertainty about delivering debt reduction and getting our balance sheet in shape. At current oil prices with our production forecast, we would expect a significant amount of, of, of cash going to debt reduction this year. And I would expect the equity to respond as, as we get over that phase of people concerning about Premier's viability. Short term, no, there's no plans for dividends. There's no plans for share buybacks. I think, frankly, everybody um, is aligned that we need to get debt down uh, in the near term. In the medium term, and I'm sure we'll discuss it in a second, the plan is to have that kind of Goldilocks scenario of investing in new projects while at the same time continuing to reduce debt. Yes, in the medium and long term, then we'll, we'll look at, at further shelled returns. But uh, as you said at the beginning, I think our, our uh, equity is significantly undervalued. And I think the, the focus there is because people are worried about our debt position. If we can get that under control, I would expect a transfer of value between the debt holders and the equity holders. Of course, in oil and gas and resources investing, there are very, very long lead times to projects coming on stream. And you, you said that the intention will be in the future to invest in, in a few projects. You are still quite soon coming up to investment decision on a couple of those projects, one, one being Sea Line uh, in the North Falkland Basin, the other being uh, Tollmount in the North Sea. How much are these projects going to cost? Well, Tollmount, I think, is the initial is the initial one that's going to reach uh, FID, hopefully around mid-year. Um, it's worth stepping back. We picked that up as part of um, the Eon acquisition in 2016. And, and we have taken, you know, despite being a three-year challenging period, we took some fairly bold and contrarian um, decisions at the time. One was to acquire Eon's North Sea assets right at the bottom of the cycle. And that's not only worked from a production base. We are doing 20,000 miles a day from those assets. When we acquired them, they're only doing 15,000 miles a day and obviously benefiting from the commodity price upside. But we picked up the toll mount development, which we didn't put too much value on at the time of the acquisition, but is now, in our view, worth considerably more. It's about a 600 BCF-based development. We have 50% of that. Original guidance was gross costs around $600 million, so our net share about about 300. But we've partnered up with Antin, which are an infrastructure partner in the North Sea, which is going to significantly reduce our upfront capex. And we'd expect that to be around $100 million or so. So whilst it is potentially in terms of volumes uh, as big as Catcher in, in terms of uh, forward profile, through some fairly innovative financing techniques, we're going to reduce our upfront capex exposure. So going back to what we said before, we can still continue to reduce debt while investing in the, in the next stage of projects. Behind that, we have Sea Line in the Falklands. That's a bigger project. That's an order of magnitude larger in terms of capital investment and our exposure. And the focus there, again, is going to be how we can manage our financial exposure to that project. We're looking at vendor financing in terms of uh, the, the suppliers. Um, funding part of the development costs. We are talking to um, export finance agencies, UK and and, and Norway and and further afield about potential uh, investment in the project as well. And so indications are very positive at this stage and there's no doubt the oil price going up has has, has helped in in those discussions. But they're going to take a bit of time. I mean, our aim is to get Sea Line to FID around year end. Um, So we've got a lot of work to do. But again, that'll be a game changer for Premier. 
you know, it's potentially 400 million barrels gross of, of reserves, um, and there are multiple phases of the project. So, you know, initially toll mount, then sea line, and then beyond that, we also have um, projects like Tuna and Zama. One thing we're not constrained of is opportunities. The key in my job is to make sure that we right size and we fund an appropriate measure going forward. So, as I say, the balance sheet continues to reduce in terms of net debt, but we can invest for growth going forward. We'll touch on Zama in a, in a second. I just wanted to come back to a second point on uh, on sea line. It's obviously, you know, an, a quite an arduous journey from a financial perspective to, to, to get there. Another potential is, issue or, or risk, which I suppose has been a secondary concern in the last few years, is the political picture around the Falklands. And this is in previously, at least my understanding, contested uh, waters. What's the latest in your understanding of, of the oil and gas framework for a development project in that basin um, i mean it, it's it's pretty clear i mean it's the falklands are you know part of the uk they have their own um separate governance structure and you allude to the fact that the you know argentines still have a claim over the falklands it hasn't really affected the industry there's been a lot of rhetoric let's be clear there's been a lot of noise um around the issue but we've had three exploration campaigns one we've operated to rock opera have operated previously and they've been completely uninterrupted. Again, going forward, the development, we see no reason why um, that, that will be unaffected through the development phase. Again, would expect a lot of rhetoric around this. I have to say, political relations with, with Argentina have softened with the new government there, and, and there's talk of, of trade agreements, etc. I think we have to realise that the, the sea line project will be a you know a two, three decade project, so politics will, will ramp up or down. Our, our view is our licence to operate remains firm. The UK government is committed to the Falklands, and, and more importantly, Importantly, the contractors we deal with are very happy to, to commit to the project. So, as I say, we, we view it as it's unhelpful noise, clearly, but we don't see it impinging um, significantly on the project. Just moving to the other side of the, the equator, though, in a similar hemisphere, last year you made the Zama discovery offshore Mexico, and, and I think on an unrisked basis you've said that could hold up to 800 million barrels uh, of oil equivalent. You know, this is a, a probably another couple of billion dollars of capex to get that up to first production. Is it not worth of you entertain the idea of, of selling down your stake in that now and freeing up some cash up front, or are you placing greater importance on having a, a pipeline of opportunities, or are you constrained in your partnership with Sierra? No, I mean, look, the Zam has been fantastic for us. It was uh, it's a great. It's probably the biggest oil exploration success um, the company's had. Um, and I, I, again, touching on the last three years, we again took a bit of a contrarian view uh, getting involved in the licensing around there. Everybody, everybody's been looking forward to Mexico opening up, but the first licensing round was right at the nadir of the oil price in 2015. Uh, and we took advantage to um, to pick up licenses um, with our partners um, when it wasn't as competitive as it, it is now. I mean, Zama's a great success, as you say, potentially up to 800 million barrels split between our block and, and Pemex's. Long term, um, undecided, you're right, we have um, options, good options, in that we could retain um, the block through to development or we could, we could essentially sell and monetize. I think that decision is, is far too early. We've had one well. It looks a very clean, simple structure, but we want to go through the appraisal phase to, to firm that up. The appraisal program will start at the end of this year. Um, we're in discussions with Pemex about how many wells we'll drill to, to prove that up. But I think once we get into 2019, once the appraisal's finished, not only hopefully the asset will be de-risked and therefore worth more, but we can then decide where, where it fits within the Premier portfolio. And that, again, goes to ex, you know existing opportunities we have plus what, what our balance sheet looks like. So 
I think any decision on whether we monetize or stay in, in, in Zama will definitely be a 2019-2020 decision. But it's a good decision to have. As you say, it's, it's an asset we think has considerable value. We have an asset and that, that I think will go up in value through the appraisal phase, and then we can decide whether we, we retain or, uh, or monetize at that point. So, I mean, there's obviously lots of uh, events in the timeline for Premier over the next couple of years, as there have been in the last couple of years. And I suppose, if you know, from my perspective, looking at Premier, it's a very interesting case study in, you know, sometimes the pitfalls, but also the opportunities of investing in oil and gas. We're a magazine that sort of focuses often on long-term investing. I'd just be interested to get your take as well, Richard, on oil and gas as a sector to invest in, because you know, a changing energy future and this sort of rapidly shifting, there are questions over the long-term role of, of hydrocarbons in the energy mix. What do you just say to investors who might be concerned about a 10, 20 year uh, horizon of investing in an energy company like uh, like yours? Yeah, I mean, it, it's I mean, the short to medium term, a lot is about oil price and oil price volatility, and we are we are a deeply cyclical business. The last couple of years have been quite painful. There's a number of reasons why the oil price fell significantly, not least of which we had a hundred dollar oil for quite a period of time, a lot of investment. We had U.S. shale growing quite rapidly, and we've had to you know we've had to reset the industry, you know, lower operating costs, lower cost base. So who knows where the oil price is going to be in the next few years? I think the lack of industry investment has meant we'll see upward pressure on the oil price. There's a, a number of swing factors, not, not least is OPEC cohesion. What really is the economics of shale? Because I think we've had contradictory statements there. Um, and, and the wild card, we've, we've had, a, if you like, a supply-led recession. What's, what's global demand going to be like in the next few years? But you know, in, in my view, I think that's pointing to a slightly stronger oil price and certainly you know, at current levels or higher, I think, could, could be achievable for the next few years. Long term, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of discussion going on about fuel switching, especially in in, um, uh, in the car sector, about electric cars, etc. Whilst I have no doubt the long term trend is, is moving that way, um, I think we we are investing our new projects that have paybacks in a five to ten year period. So if we were to invest in in Sea Lion, you know, the most of that that return and recovery will be will be done by 2030. So I think in in terms of the short to medium term investment horizon, I think the outlook is still very positive. Absolutely, beyond 2030, it becomes more opaque. I think arguably we'll start to see more focus on gas, which is going through a bit of a glut at the moment. But I, I think gas long term as part of the energy mix will, will, will increase um, ever more than it has at the moment. Short to medium term, the answer is that oil projects are still, will be very robust. If you ask this question in 10 or 15 years, then the energy mix may be changing. But I still certainly think hydrocarbons will be an important part of that, whether it's more focused on gas or oil, we'll have to see. Excellent. Richard, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. To listen to more audio from the IC, go to our website or search for us on Acast, iTunes or wherever you normally get your podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.